Please pray with me. Our King and Savior now draws near. Oh, come, let us adore him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Well, Happy New Year. Seriously, Happy New Year. Now, I know there's this other calendar you've heard of that starts in January 1. I know most people use that, but we use a different one, and ours is more important because it's all about Jesus. There's no one more important than Jesus. And so today is the first day of a new year of journeying with Jesus through the calendar of the church. So let me, let me for those of you that are new to our tradition, just a real quick review, 30 seconds tops. So we start in Advent and we have a, one cycle called the cycle or season of light, or cycle of light. And there's three seasons, Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. And they're all about Jesus coming in his revelation to us of who God is. Then there's the season of redemption. And in that season, it's Lent, Easter, to Pentecost. And that's the season in Lent where we prepare to move toward Easter. We move into Holy Week and remember the Lord's Supper, remember the Lord's sacrifice on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter, and then we have six weeks of Easter and then it becomes Pentecost Sunday. Then the church shifts gears. And it's called ordinary times, sometimes Trinity tides, sometimes Pentecost. We call it Pentecost around here. But it's that season of just half the year where we just reflect on how to live in light of the story of Jesus. Half the year is the story of Jesus and how the Old Testament from our reading speaks to the story of Jesus. And then we talk about how to be the church for half a year. We do it every year. It's in the three-year cycle. And so all these readings you hear on Sunday, they're actually appointed, they're given to us, and they cycle every three years. So today's the first day of Advent, and you might notice we didn't sing any Christmas carols. You know why? It's not Christmas yet, I'm sorry. I know out there it's Christmas already, and I'm not against that. I have Sirius Channel 71, which is holiday favorites on my car, and I listen to Bing and Frank and Andy Williams. Trust me, right, Trudy? That's my wife right there, Maybe talk to her. So don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not here to be judgmental about that, but we do something different. We're getting ready for Jesus. And, and Advent is this season of longing, of hoping, yearning for the coming of Jesus. And we, we sit with the story of ancient Israel as they long for the first coming of Jesus, although that's already happened But his redemption is not fully complete. We're waiting for one more step for Jesus to come back. And so just like Israel, we long for Jesus to come back. So this season is more about longing. And and the color is is purple. And purple has two meanings. One, it's a royal color because we're waiting the coming of the king, Jesus. We'll talk about that specifically today. But also, the other season is purple is Lent. And Lent is about penitence or repentance. I know it's hard to get in this mindset when Andy's singing it's the most wonderful time of the year, but this is kind of a junior varsity Lent. This is a time to redirect our hearts. And hear the words of John the Baptist when he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make your hearts ready for the Lord to come. Now, at St. Pat's we fudge a little bit, so as we get about into the third week, we'll sing some Christmas carols and we'll kind of we'll ease in. But then Christmas starts... On the eve of the Feast of the Nativity, 
on the 24th, and it lasts. You know how many days it lasts? There's a song. It's 12 days. You get 12 days of Christmas, kids. Remind your parents of this. It's not just one day. Let them know this. And we celebrate the coming of Jesus. Well, I'm always struck. I've said this in other years. This kind of, I used to really bother me. It's like, oh, we're trying to do Advent at church. And it's all Christmas out there. And how do you make this work? Because this is all joy, joy, joy. And this is all getting ready and longing. How do you work that all out? Then I thought, you know what? I think that tension can actually be a means of spiritual formation. Because you see, that tension of joy and longing is the tension we live with for this whole life. Because no matter how good this life is, it's not the life we long for. This is not the end of the story. We are longing for something better. And we taste the joy of it, but we don't have its fullness. We know that, that, that as C.S. Lewis put it, and I'm paraphrasing, that... You know, if you discover that there's nothing in this life that will satisfy the deepest hunger of your life, it tells you there's probably some other life you're made for. Or as you put it, some other country you're made for. And that country is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And so Advent begins by us thinking about the coming kingdom. The coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. Not the first coming. And we do that because we know Just like ancient Israel, we're not home yet. And though the kingdom has come partially, it's not fully here yet. And to get into that, we're going to look at this Isaiah passage. This beautiful messianic prophecy about the coming king. And it's this beautiful vision. It's interesting that it says Isaiah saw this. So somehow the Holy Spirit made him able to look ahead to when Jesus comes to reign. And he saw what's happening in this Story. Let me read some of it again as we walk through it. Verse 1. You can follow along if you'd like. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So, just in case you don't know, the ancient kingdom of Israel split a few generations after David. And there were the northern ten tribes called Israel, and the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And Jerusalem stayed with Benjamin. And Jerusalem was the place where the anointed Davidic king reigned, David and his descendants, and that's where God's temple was. That's critical for reading this text. So this is a vision about Judah and Jerusalem, and he says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. So let me stop there. So the mountain of the house of the Lord is what's often called Mount Zion. It's actually still there today in Jerusalem. And it's where God's temple was. And if there is only one true God, and I believe there is, and he created all things, and I believe that's true, then the place where he meets his people, the temple, that location on earth, there's no more important location on the face of the whole earth. There just isn't. If that's where God shows up, there's no more important place. And Isaiah is saying, there's going to come a day when that just won't be something that God's people recognize. And it won't just be something that Israel recognizes, but all the nations will see that. And that mountain will be lifted up above the hills. I don't think he's saying literally, like Mount Zion's going to be higher than Mount Everest. I think he's talking about authority and dominion and dynasty and rule. 
And that's going to happen because the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus, will return and he will reign from that mountain. And it says, and all the nations shall flow to it and many peoples shall come. If you know your Old Testament, that should trigger something in your mind. It should take you back to Genesis 12. When God called Abram, he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. and I'm going to make you a blessing so that all the families, all the nations, all the tribes on earth are blessed in you. That's what's happening right here. He's seeing this. It's going to happen when this mountain is lifted up as the highest mountain. And King Jesus comes, returns to reign on that mountain. And all the nations, all the peoples, it says in verse 3, will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and, out of the, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then it says this, he shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. The first thing to note, when Jesus comes back, there will be judgment. And it has two dimensions. In one sense, it really is a time of evaluation. That's a nice way to put it. It's a time of, it's a time of retribution for those who live their lives in rebellion against God. The scriptures are clear. It's, it's not a popular thing to say in our modern culture. Sure doesn't fit the Andy Williams narrative, but that's what the scriptures say. It says in Hebrews, it's appointed a man, unto man once to die, and after this comes judgment. All of us, must appear before the great judgment seat of Christ. Either it will be welcomed into the kingdom or not welcomed into the kingdom. So there's an aspect of his coming to set things right. And let me say this, that is an expression of God's goodness. That's an expression of God's holiness. That's an expression of God's love. Because if God really loves us, all he can will is what is good. So there's no way he can blink his eyes at evil. If the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and strength, what's the greatest sin? To not love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so those that finally fully say no to God, God will say, you're welcome. That's part of what will happen. But there's another thing that will happen. God will also set all things right. Everything that's wrong in the world will be set right. Think of it this way. I hope you can track with this. I'm, I'm kind of nerdy, so this is sort of stuff I geek out about, but, but I like to think about, like, geopolitics. I, I really do. It's pretty boring, I know. But here's the deal. If you talk to people that are experts in this, they'll have this thing they'll say. They'll go, you know, before you can understand how to kind of negotiate politically around the world, you have to know this one truth. The world stage is fundamentally anarchic. Here's what that means. Each country has a government. Well, there are 150 plus countries. No one rules them. They're all free agents. The world is kind of like the Wild West. And there's 150 free agents kind of vying for their interests and power. It's the way it's always been. And then always, in the midst of that, there's a few countries that kind of run an empire or, or the dominant actors. And let's just be real. Who are the three in the world now? It's the United States, China, and Russia. That's the way the world works. And what we do is we're constantly negotiating and working and having wars and negotiating peace and trying to keep this thing from all blowing up. But when Jesus comes, that'll be over. 
The anarchy will be gone because there will be one king. Not 150 kings, one king. Number two, that king will be absolutely good. So we can trust him with power and authority. Dictatorship and kingship is way more efficient than democracy. We just have democracy because we can't trust anyone. Right? But it'd be better to have a king who knows everything and has all wisdom and is all good. And then he'll fill his world with people who are good. When that happens, everything will be set right. It won't be like it is now. No more wars. In fact, swords, as it says in the text, will get pounded into plows. Swords won't kill. Swords will bring life when Jesus returns. That's what the text is saying. When there's one king, and everyone gives allegiance to that king, and they're transformed by the very life of that king, the world will be just and good. Goes on. So he shall judge between the nations, verse 4, and he shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. There will be justice. There will be peace. And then verse 5. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Darkness will be gone. That's a metaphor for all that is bad and broken and evil and destructive. It will be gone. And all of us who are in that kingdom will walk in the eternal light of God. The beautiful light of God. The perfect light of God. That's the vision Isaiah is seeing. It's the vision the Holy Spirit's inviting us to see as well. As we set our hope on the promise that Jesus is coming. Set our hope on the promise that Jesus is coming back. You know, if you stop and think about it, it's a weird thing to believe, isn't it? I mean, if we're, I, know, I know if you're a committed Christian, you're so used to it, that sounds bad for a preacher to say that. But stop and think about it a minute. To most people, they're not people of faith, that's a weird thing to believe. But think of the alternative if you don't believe that. Then what you believe is that evil is normal. Really. What's the point of even fighting it? It's just built into the system. It's not a bug. It's a feature. Death is normal. It's not a bug. It's a feature. War. Violence. It's normal. Yeah, we can try to sort of make things work pretty good. But even in our personal lives, the ugliness and cruelty that shows up in wars shows up in our relationships and families even. None of us in this room have escaped it. None of us. So that's great. If you want to not believe that Jesus is coming back, that's fine. But a person has to know what it is they're choosing to believe. They're choosing to believe, at best, this world goes on just like it has forever and ever and ever. But you probably won't say amen to that. But if Jesus is coming back, then there's hope. If Jesus is coming back, that a revolution is coming. If Jesus is coming back, this world's going to be radically different. If Jesus is coming back, then there's nothing more important to live your life for. If Jesus is coming back, there's nothing more important to get ready for. If Jesus is coming back, then this glorious life that God's given us, that we know in our heart of hearts is glorious, matters. It matters. It matters to God, and it matters to us. 
That's how we start Advent, by remembering that truth, that Jesus is coming back. Yes, when we die, we get to go to heaven. That's a great thing. St. Paul said, for me to live is die, for me to live is Christ, and he said to die is gain. So whatever heaven, that intermediate state is, that, that kind of bodiless, spiritual thing, it's good and it's probably better than this, but that's not the goal. The goal is Mount Zion, lifted up. Jesus, here, you, me, here, somehow in a bodily existence that's glorified like Jesus when he rose. What that is, we don't know yet. Eyes not seen, ears not heard. But God knows. And he promises this, it'll be more glorious than anything we can imagine. Well, there's a sense where we don't actually have to wait to go to Mount Zion. We actually go to Mount Zion every week. I love this text in Hebrews. It's not one of your readings. But the author of Hebrews writes to these Christians and says, But you have come, you have come, past tense, to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. See, every Sunday when we come here, we lift up our hearts. Where are we lifting them up to? To the heavenly place to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the heavenly Mount Zion, the true Mount Zion, where the true temple of God is, and our great high priest Jesus is there now. And so as we gather and worship, this altar, in a way that only God can understand, isn't just in this room. It's in the middle of his temple. It's in the middle of Mount Zion, and we are there. And the invitation is this, to come afresh to Mount Zion, to come afresh and let Jesus be king. And to come afresh and, and do what verse 5 in Isaiah 2 says. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's the Advent call. To walk in the light of the Lord now. So we can be ready for the day when Jesus comes in Mount Zion is the highest of all mountains. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. How about you stand?